Hello and welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and then we talk about them. I'm the boyfriend. And I'm Drew. And we have a very special episode for our seventh entry. Yeah, we are looking at a Fairy Potter musical, a Fairy Potter sequel and a Fairy Potter senior year. Excellent. So a really magical experience to be had. Yes, definitely apropos for our seventh episode. Yes. I knew there were three. Yeah. Did you know they were called that when I... No, I didn't. I just knew there were three. Mm -hmm. Is it done that the first musical covers kind of books one to three, the second one covers books four and five, and then the final one covers like the final few years at Hogwarts? I don't know. No. (laughs) Is the answer to that. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, because I'm not sure if this is supposed to be like faithful or if this is more parody. It's a parody. The the only way you can make anything Harry Potter related, because of both J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers, you have to make it a parody. Because there are, in America anyway, from what I know about it, there are parody laws that you might see like YouTubers before they talk about films. They say it's within the rights of parody and yes and fair use. Yeah, basically it's that. And the, the only way that they could get away with doing this musical is for it to be a parody. Has anyone from Warner Brothers or J.K. Rowling ever commented on the existence of a Very Potter musical? Yeah. So when it came out, the original one, a Very Potter musical, came out in two thousand nine. Yeah. It was taken down, I believe, by Warner Brothers okay. because they were making money off it. Which kind of goes against... Yeah. So they had to prove, in the same way that we do when we do school shows, yes. that you're using the money that you make from it goes to like pay for it. Okay. So instead of making money off of tickets and you know paying your actors, they make money off of tickets and then they show where that money has funded like the set and the costume and everything. Am I right in thinking that this was a student production? Yes. That this was a cohort at a university mm-hmm. who devised a Very Potter musical? Yeah. Okay. So the University of Michigan is one of the top musical theatre programmes in the world. Yes. And every year, I believe, they take between, like, 20 to 40 students. And that number varies depending on how strict they're being that year. Yeah. But it is a very prestigious musical theatre programme. A lot of Broadway performers come from there. Well, I know that Harry is played by Warbler Blaine. Yeah, Darren Darren Chris. Is this where he kind of started to make his name? Is there no Warbler Blaine if not for a very Potter musical? I don't... Personally, I don't think so. He claims otherwise. Well... Thinking about the Glee timeline. Yeah, this is before Glee. Yes, well, similar, because Glee started when I was at university, which is 2008, Mm -hmm. and he showed up season two, which is 2009. Yeah, so the way that a Very Potter musical happened is that University of Michigan, when you study there, you have to study all aspects of musical theatre. And at the end of your senior year, you put on a show. Generally, they do like classical musicals but within that you have the right to say we're going to put on our own show we've written a musical and it's kind of their senior thesis essentially 
yeah. in the same way that I did an art show at the end of my course at uni and people who study writing would write like a novella at the end of their degree like yeah. things like that they put on this show and out of that some of them got agents and contracts and got contracted into doing other things some of them didn't Darren Chris says that it wasn't a very Potter musical that got him his agent and that he already had one okay so he probably did already audition for Glee and then just sort of like the timeline worked out that he could also do a very good musical because he wrote all the music for it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. This debuted on YouTube. So obviously, like, they'd have performed to a show. Yeah. But my point is that then it was screened on YouTube in parts. Mm -hmm. So they uploaded it, you know, part one, part two, part three, however many parts there are. Yeah, I think there were like ten. And they, that's how it kind of got more well-known was because of YouTube. Yeah. So in 2009, they performed for three nights in April. Yeah. And it was a success. They did a good job, but they filmed it as well. And then it was put onto YouTube under the name Harry Potter the Musical. Yes. And it kind of blew up. And then Warner Brothers got wind of it. It got taken down and they edited it to be more appropriate for younger audiences because it's Harry Potter. Yeah. And then they re-uploaded it in June and changed the name to A Very Potter Musical. So it starts off more adult. The version that we're going to watch is the final cut. Okay. It kind of gained a bit of a cult following from what I understand. Mm -hmm. In that I own merch from this and I don't buy merch. But what I mean is it, it kind of, a lot of people latched onto it and I feel like I've read that they've done convention appearances based off this. Mm -hmm. Have there ever been any other performances of a very Potter musical? Obviously there are sequels, but have there ever been other performances because of its cult status? Unfortunately, yes. Basically, what they said, because of the Warner Brothers lockdown with it, they can't make any money off of it. They also don't let the rights out. Yes. So there's no script for this online or well, i'm sure there is i'm sure somebody's written up the script for it but, not but there's official. no official script for it online you can't buy the rights to perform it with your group or your school it's supposed to be just the youtube video and that's it people have done performances of it there have been andram society performances of it school performances of it and it gets them in trouble Gets who in trouble? The schools or the group who created Starkid, the group that created it. Why does it get them in trouble? Because are they selling these rights to do it? So they get in trouble even though they're not actually endorsing these performances. Yeah, but they have to like very publicly not endorse these performances, which is a shame because the people who are doing these performances are fans. But obviously, if you've got Warner Brothers breathing down your neck, it's... it's But Starkid themselves have never done... They've never sold the rights to it. They've never done another performance of this bar, the original ones that were then Mm -hmm. filmed. Yeah. So So how have they got away with doing sequels then? So because it got such a cult following, they decided to do a Harry Potter sequel. Yeah. They'd done a show in between and they decided they were going to do a Harry Potter sequel made up mostly of things that they took out of the first one. Yeah. And it was performed in 2010, again at the University of Michigan, they put in songs that weren't going to be in the original one and they changed them a little bit. And then Darren Chris wrote all of the songs for it in a month. Just 
sat down and wrote 10 songs in a month. And two of them were songs that he'd already written. One of them was a song that he wrote for a friend called Guys Like Peter, about how great his friend Peter is, and they changed it to be Guys Like Potter. Okay. Which is... I thought it might have been about Peter Pettigrew. No. That would be funnier. (laughs) I quite like that. But no, it's Guys Like Potter. And then, yeah, they performed again for three nights and just did their sequel performance, and that blew up even more than the original one did. Because people were anticipating it, and the filming of it is a lot better than the first one. So the production values kind of got better each time. Mm -hmm. The first one, you're going to see it when we watch it. You can hear the audience really, really loudly. Good, I do like that. Yeah, but to the detriment of the performance. Okay. Which, in fairness, they're only recording it because it's their senior project they they weren't recording it to show to the world and i think if they had been they'd have thought about it more yeah for the sequel they obviously knew they were going to put it on youtube and that it was going to be a hit so they recorded it really professionally and then how did the third one come about the third one 2012 so 2009 Mm -hmm. 2010 long gap 2012 the reason there's such a long gap is because they said they weren't going to do a third one yeah And in that time, the artists and authors who wrote the first one, so specifically Nick Lang, who came up with the original idea of it, they wrote a concept for a Harry Potter senior year. And they called it that as a joke because it's a high school musical reference. And they kind of just thought, do you know what, we'll just write this and put a snippet of it online and see what people think. And it got such, like, incredible views And it's literally just him reading a paragraph from it that they got asked to go to LeakyCon in America. Yes. The Harry Potter convention. Yeah, that's the one I'd heard that they'd done appearances at. Yeah, so they'd already been there a couple of times. This is, they got a stage at LeakyCon. They got funded to do a set and to bring costumes and get all of the actors there, including Darren Criss, who hadn't been in a show since a Harry Potter sequel. Well... Because he's... He's busy being busy. having an agent and being all the blame. Exactly. Like, his career trajectory has been mm-hmm. upwards. He became one of the featured performers on Glee. Yeah. And there's other cast members from this who went on to do other things. It's like Devin Little, who I love. She works for BuzzFeed. Yeah. And she was on Ladylike, and now she has her own channel, and she has a bajillion followers. And the stuff she talks about, I'm really interested in. So, like, she's quite famous as well. Yeah. Obviously, there's a difference between, like, Darren Chris TV show, movie famous, and Devin Little, like, YouTube famous. But, you know, they have all gone on to do their own things. The majority of the actors from this stayed with Starkid. Yeah. And have been doing their shows ever since. One of the main characters that you'll see in A Very Good Musical, Lauren Lopez, who I love, is in, I think, every show. Okay. Do they have anything to do with the group behind Potter Puppet Pals? No. Very similar, and obviously, there's a very famous musical episode of Potter Puppet Pals. Didn't somebody do homework for you that was related to that? Oh, no, it was music homework. A kid submitted music homework about the mysterious ticking noise. Yeah, that was... It was amazing. Yeah. I do love, though, that I can be in my classroom and I can just go, Snape, Snape. (laughs) 
Severus Snape, and somebody will just shout, Dumbledore! You could probably do that with this show, though. You could sing something from this and kids would know it. That's why I thought that there might have been something attached to it, like it was a side project or people were involved because, you know, similar styles, I guess. Hmm. So the way that A Very Potter Musical came about, the first one, was that in 2009, Nick Lang and his friends at the University of Michigan were reading Goblet Fire together. And their reading of it was that Draco really fancies Hermione. Yes, that's my favourite slash pairing. Yeah, and that, isn't it just ridiculous that he's treating her like this because he fancies her, why is he being so mean to her? They wrote a song about it called Granger Danger and they wrote it down and they were like, oh, that's really funny, we should make a Harry Potter musical. And then they wrote the whole musical (laughs) basically in one go. It got revised and remade over and over again, but it is... From what I understand, Harry's quite arrogant in this one. Yeah. He's not a likeable character. But I am the chosen one, like, aspect of Harry. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of lovable, though. He's he's James. So if this stems from a reading of Goblet of Fire, does it cut out the earlier years and kind of start from Triwizard Tournament? It's such a mix of different things. Okay. So they... obviously they were reading Goblet Fire it's got aspects of Goblet Fire in it but then also it's got a bunch of stuff from all over the place like there's references to the Horcruxes so it's basically more like a fan's love letter to Harry Potter there's no real continuity (laughs) and it only gets better as we get into the second I know it's unofficial so I know it's never going to have that kind of Mm -hmm. faithful adaptation yeah like the films, <laughs> I say faithful adaptation and films in a very strange sentence together. Yes. But it's never going to be that kind of linear. Linear. Yeah. Okay. No, it's it's really not. And their making of it is really non-linear as well. Is there a lot of creative liberties and kind of presumptions yeah. about the characters' backgrounds or features? Yeah, definitely. So you've got Harry is widely the character of Harry in this. Everybody who watches it says that that's what James Potter was probably like. Yeah. Like that's who the character is rather than Harry. But at the same time, you can read Harry as being quite arrogant, I think, in the books. I think Sometimes that's... it comes across. Yeah, like we've spoken about it, that we have very differing views on Harry. For I us. like Harry. Yeah, but like I remember saying to you that Order of Phoenix is my least favourite book, mm. even though it's arguably one of the best written books. Yeah. Because Harry just annoys me. Because if Harry just listened to what the adults were saying... But nobody's... They're not saying anything to him. Nobody's telling him anything that's true. They're just... They treat him like a child in that one, and they shouldn't be. Well, they should be, because... I know he's a child, uh, no, but... No, <laughs> because Dumbledore has made the most brilliant observation that Voldemort is seeing what's happening through Harry's eyes. Yeah. That's why no one's telling him anything. Yeah, but if they told him that, then he'd have just gotten on with it. Well, he wouldn't have listened to them anyway, because he's in that kind of mood. Well, that's just his character. Yeah, but I think this is the thing that's great about Harry, is Mm. you can love him, but you can hate him at the same time. I think he's great. I think he's great. I think he's fallible. Yeah. And that's what you want from a good hero. I think it's really interesting that you can ask basically any Harry Potter fan 
who their favourite character is, and nobody's going to say Harry. Who's your favourite Harry Potter character? Ginny. And does Ginny get the justice she should in this compared to the films? (laughs) Of course not. Are we still in a world where we want justice for Ginny? I will always live in the world where I want justice for Ginny. You know who my favourite character is. Do I? Surely you know who my favourite character is. In Harry Potter? Yeah. Hermione? No. I don't know who's your favourite character in Harry Potter. Draco. Okay, you're going to love this then. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, am I this going is, to... You're going to have the best time. Draco's the best character in the musicals. How did you not know that Draco is my favourite character? Because when you talk about is Emma Watson. There's a difference. Yeah, no, there isn't. <laughs> I like the actress. You like Tom Felton as well. I do, and I got to meet him last year, and it was legitimate. You swooned. I swooned. I met him dressed as Draco Malfoy. Mm-hmm. What more could you expect? Like, it was, it was great. So I'm going to be happy with the representation. You're going to love it. Cool. It's going to be great. So when they were making this musical, obviously it's their sort of senior thesis and they know they only have three nights to perform it. Yeah. And they have to fill the audience all three nights, and which isn't hard to do at the University of Michigan because people know the standard that they're going to see. Yeah. They were still putting in new stuff two days before the performance. <laughs> They changed At one least of the it's songs. not like Andrew Lloyd Webber who's putting stuff in 10 years after the performance. That's true. But they changed... So one of the songs is called Harry, and it's based on a song called Sammy, which is from a, a YouTube series called Little White Lies, which Dan Chris wrote that song for okay. that series. And he's in it and he sings it. In the musical, it's sung by Ginny. Cool. And he added a bridge to it two days before the performance, and she had to learn it. In that time. Consummate professional. Yes. Which is, I think, one person learning one bridge to a song that they already sing Mm. isn't that hard. The entire cast had to learn a whole new song, like a two-minute song, two days before the performance. And there's a really good video of them learning harmonies, and it's a three-part harmony in the song. Cool. And they just are incredibly professional and just go for it, which says a lot about the university, I think. But I also think it says a lot maybe about their passion for Harry Potter oh, yeah. projects, that they would be willing to part with that nonsense. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I think I think it's very hard to teach students to be that flexible, especially at university age, when you've already decided who you are and you know what you're like as a professional. Yeah. So the way this is going to work is we're going to watch one and two. Yeah. And then we're going to take a break. And we're going to come back and talk about three. And then we're going to watch three. It's going to be a very, very long day. It is, yeah. But I'm okay with that. <laughs> I reckon I'm going to have a lot of fun with this day. I haven't watched these since they came out. I've never watched these, but then you knew that. That's the premise of this podcast. Yes. But I've listened to the music. I have most of the music downloaded. And like I say, at the time, me and my brother were absolutely crazy about these musicals we had all of the songs we would make our mum play them in the car on the way to yeah. school jake my brother has a pair of star kid sunglasses cool. that he bought off of their website when we were like he must have been 12 when this came out we were very young and like the fact that we were buying merch from america was such a big deal at the time because yeah, i know exactly what you mean yeah we didn't do that no, and it's that's something you must really want to do to be able to, mm-hmm. to get it. It's that to be able to convince my parents to let us 
buy those from America to yeah, get them. Exactly. You know, I've ordered a few things from America and you must really want it to do it. Yeah. Because you've got to wait. Mm-hmm. You've also got to pay for the like shipping. tax and the shipping. Yep. So that's a testament to maybe the quality of a very Potter. I'm really, really interested to see how this is aged. Yeah, I think that's something for you that's always quite interesting from your yeah. perspective when we watch these is because these are things that maybe you've seen before, mm-hmm. maybe you're really passionate about and you've seen it multiple times, or maybe it's one you've not watched for a while, but you've got nostalgia. Yeah. Like but... Cinderella last week, mm-hmm. something you have very strong nostalgic feelings for, but haven't necessarily watched recently, whereas Phantom you've seen loads of ways mm-hmm. since your first viewing of it a few years ago. Yeah, and especially with that, this one is something that was a big part of my childhood. And I remember, like, my drama club that I went to every week on a Saturday, like, we were all obsessed. Yeah. Like, the the guys that we played Dungeons & Dragons with, they were in that little gang of, like, obsessed Harry Potter fans and musical fans, and we would all just sit around and sing it. I was going to say, you've got two very passionate, like, um, subgroups there in musical theatre <laughs> and Harry Potter, and you put that Zen diagram together, and is that where you get a very Potter musical? Yeah, basically. Excellent. It's going to be great. I am excited to watch this one since you told me about it, you know, last week. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I've been singing all the songs, so I'm interested to see the I actually haven't noticed you singing at all this week. Okay. Perhaps I've just got very good at tuning in. Ignoring me, yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to put our robes on. Yes. Head to platform nine and three quarters and catch a train to Hogwarts. Woohoo. Woohoo. And we'll be back at the end of our school year. Yeah. Freaking Potter, we don't prefer Gandalf, Merlin, or Oz. You're a whole lot hotter with that lightning scar. You're a superstar to us all. We're in trouble, we know who to call. Hello, we're back. So, we have watched a very Potter musical and a very Potter senior year. Yes, we're two thirds of the way through this marathon. Yep, we haven't yet moved on to a very Potter senior year because I want to talk about the first two first. So what's going to happen is we're going to briefly talk about one and two and then talk about what through the differences that three have a little bit before we actually go and watch it. Love you say briefly because we'll try and talk if it's anything you. like our brief bonus episode on Love Never Dies, yeah. we'll be here a while. But I think that's a good plan. Yeah. You've told me already that there's a, a gap between two and three mm-hmm. compared to the gap from one and two. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned to me in the past that three wasn't necessarily planned. Yeah. So I think it kind of it's appropriate to stop here, have a little bit of a gap before we go back to Hogwarts for senior year. Mm -hmm. I had seen more kind of references than I realised. I was very aware of the Cho Chang joke. Were you? Yes, I had seen that. I think that's been used in other things since, though. That was... I remembered why I hadn't got around to watching it yet. Because of the Cho Chang joke. the Cho Chang joke. I kind of looked and I thought, this isn't for me. All right. 
And I'm kind of glad it was done and out of the way straight away. So I was like, okay, and then moved on. Yeah, it is a bit weird. It's very weird. I guess you've got to work with the cast you've got and you're trying to do the story. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. I think what they're trying to do here is take a lot of what people know about Harry Potter and keep the things that people love, but also flip it on its head and kind mm-hmm. of try and do something different. Yeah. I think the Americanization of it annoyed me. Did it? I don't like when they refer to people as freshmen or semester. I think that's them trying to be funny, though, because there's behind-the-scenes footage of the, the making of this that I've watched where Darren Chris is filming and he's making jokes about why is uh, Dumbledore's space suit why does it say NASA on it? NASA's I, American. But sh- they're all joking about, what? No, Harry Potter's American. It's not English. Well, like, it's tongue-in-cheek. It is tongue-in-cheek, and I get it. I think it's more just a case of, could they not have just gone with years? Probably, can, but... Because they try to be American, but then they talk about the other things, for instance, like London, you know, Great Britain. Yeah. So this is still set in English Harry Potter, and I can forgive the American voices because I think that's funny. Yeah. But... I just think the Americanization of it sometimes just bugged me a little bit. <laughs> but I did really enjoy it. Good. That's what I wanted the entire time. Because it is supposed to be funny. Yeah. And I know I I found a tweet from JK Rowling herself mm-hmm. in March of 2015 where she responded to someone who said, have you ever seen a yeah. Harry Potter musical? And she actually responded saying that she has and she thinks it's genius it is so i think it is and i think there are moments where it is really funny i think there are also moments where it's excessive and goes a little too long so here's the thing when i saw this i was 13 i think around the kind of age that in the two th- early 2000s was like the oh my god i'm so random yeah like kind of era that is exactly what this musical is it is the oh my god i'm so random harry potter musical which is great and i do love those bits and i love those moments with Mm. it but it's through the lens of like that when it came out i think it reflects very heavily on the fact that it came out in 2009 you can see that well it is that internet phenomenon type thing i remember when i was growing up and we discovered salad fingers and that was very random and it yeah. made no sense. And that's part of its appeal and I do really like it. Hmm. I think a very Potter sequel was better than a very Potter musical. Source material wise or just generally? I think the production overall. So obviously sequel, they know who their audience is. They've mm-hmm. got a bit more maybe money behind them for it. The production values of the costumes, the props, the sets are better. Yeah. But I also think in terms of the story, I think the first one is sometimes very much a group of students writing something and showing off. Yeah. And no one's reined them in mm-hmm. when perhaps they needed to be reined in. Yeah. And you said you can definitely tell that it's, They've written jokes that they personally think are funny. Yeah. And the audience is made up of their other classmates who aren't in it and also their friends and their family. Exactly, which is funny to them, but mm. I wonder how well it would translate. 
Yeah. So there's some things where I think it became very self-indulgent and silly and needed to be stopped. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like the rolling around on the floor of Draco. See, that's so funny because people loved that. And that was like comedy gold at the time. And it's supposed to just emphasise how flouncy Draco is in the books. But I, I, can, I can get why. Yeah, I think it was just a little too excessive at times. If it was maybe once or twice per entrance, mm-hmm. not... Like in mul- the sequel. Well, the he sequel, did it once. I, I, yeah, exactly. The sequel, I barely noticed it. I could have done with maybe one per Draco scene. Oh, okay. But when you've got... Not constant. Yeah, when you've got entire Draco scenes of that rolling, mm-hmm. it, the joke wears thin very quickly. If right. it was a joke that happened briefly throughout it'd be funny the whole time yeah one of the ones i really liked in the sequel is you've got one of the wizard girls just cries lavender brown yeah it's baby lavender brown and i really love that because it's just it <laughs> doesn't take up too much of a scene but it's a small thing that happens yeah. and comes back the other one i liked from the other one the, the the joke i really liked that kept cropping up was kind of the, the sorting hat and the... the scarf of sexual the preference. The scarf of sexual preference. <laughs> they didn't overstay their welcome in the second one. It was kind mm. of... You didn't have, like, a big love battle between the two, which could have been funny but could have been too excessive. It mm. was used sparingly and it was yeah. funny. And I think there were a lot of the smaller moments I preferred. So when Dumbledore and Umbridge are doing their song and they've got their nice little clap and the kick at the end, mm. that was really funny to me. Yeah. Because it was so... It was just a small moment. I didn't like the constant bullying of Hermione. I didn't think you would, because I know that you quite like Hermione. I think it's hilarious, because it's all of the things that when I watched the film... As I read the books when I was younger, I didn't like Hermione. I wasn't one of those girls that put herself in as Hermione and was like, oh, I'm like her. I didn't ever read it that way, and I just found her incredibly irritating. Which she is an irritating character. Yeah, but then in the film version, nothing against Emma Watson, because she's a lovely human being, but I find her even worse in the films. And the, um, oh my God, shut up, Hermione, is just like my constant monologue when I'm watching the movies. But it is, it is nice as one or two moments, but it becomes too Family Guy. Mm. And I love Family Guy, and I love the bullying of Meg. So it is a very double standard of me here. Yeah. But I feel like it's not original. It's not a brand new take on this. And it just becomes very forced and contrived at times. It was at the time. But even at this time, you've still got Family Guy having done all of that. Shut up, Meg. And it just No, but I mean, for Harry Potter at that time, 2009, people weren't doing like Harry Potter hot takes or people say like criticizing Harry Potter because it was a phenomena. So having something where they were like, Hermione is really annoying, I felt really validated. And it's great. And for that reason, I think the first one did it better than the second one. Mm. The second the one... The second one's silly. The second yeah. one, they, they've really... Maybe people have responded well to the, the bullying bits of Hermione in the first one, said they are funny. Like you say, it's a hard take no one's had before. Yeah. So in the sequel, they've made it bigger. Because the, the sequel song. takes... That was my least favourite song. Yeah. But the sequels in any product tend to take the things that worked the first time but maybe make them bigger. Deadpool 2 is a lot of Deadpool 1 rehashed but bigger because of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've done that more. And I think in the second one, the bullying was just too much. 
Yeah. That it lost focus from a lot of other things. I didn't, I really didn't like the Draco diaper stuff. Yeah, and I don't know where that came from. I couldn't really find anything about it. It's obviously just something that somebody said in a rehearsal or somebody mentioned one time and they thought it was hilarious and they should put it in. But I think it doesn't fit with the rest of it. I think if you'd have mentioned it once, because in the first one, he is wearing a diaper. Yeah, and I think that's perhaps where it's come from, is because like, you've got, a, you've got like, that happened in the first one, probably because you have a female performer for that scene. Mm-hmm. So, modestly, maybe. She could have worn boxes. She could have worn boxes, I don't know. Maybe it's just a throwaway gag that they thought, we'll do it this, it'll be a one moment, and again, it's latched on. Yeah, and then it gets brought up too often. And then you have Dumbledore reference it in the second one. Mm-hmm. And then there's whole sections which are just too much yeah. and not necessary. And if it's all leading up to the <laughs> idea that he is... Spoilers, Draco is Dobby's son, son. Then that's kind of more a really offensive kind of race thing. Yeah. So Hermione comments on that earlier on in the second one because uh, she's... They sort of put spew in, kind of. Yeah, very, very briefly. Um, In that Hermione's trying to get house elf liberation and she mentions that the majority of house elves uh, every year die from toilet-related incidents because they fall in or get flushed. And then it leads on to Draco. Yeah. And I think there's a depiction of house elves that isn't too flattering. Yeah. I think that that... I don't think there's ever been a flattering depiction of house elves. No. They are slaves. The actual issue with house elves is that they're a race of slaves who enjoy being slaves. Yeah. And the one that dares to say, no, being a slave is bad, is treated like an idiot. And yeah. nobody ever questions it, except for the one character that J.K. Rowling has gone on to say she could see as being a black girl. And then it just becomes a whole... Kettle of worms, like it does, and I do wonder how that would change a reimagining of the films. What if Hermione was back? Yeah, and I mean, I've said to you, I'd love a streaming service version of Harry Potter, which you know, it's a TV show that can go a lot more in detail. And I would keep all the spew stuff, mm-hmm. I know it's annoying, I know, but it builds Hermione's character, it really. does, and I think it's really, really important for the final bit where. Ron gets it. Like, for me, that was the best bit about Ron and Hermione was him turning and saying, we've got to go to the kitchens and save the house house elves. And she just turns to him, kisses him, because he gets it. And it's such a great moment from there. You know, this is them finally coming together. Yeah. I think with these musicals, you have to just go with... They're just being silly. They're doing this to make people laugh. And that's what... And you can't take any of it too seriously. No. There's a lot of it I love. I Mm. love... Pig farts. That's hilarious. Especially, you know, because, you know, it's Hogwarts and it's just the same kind of wordplay, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. And Rumble Roar. Rumble Roar's great. Yep. And and there are some really good Draco moments in the first one. Mm-hmm. And in the second one, as soon as they ditch first year Draco. Yeah, and, and you get back, second year Draco. Or, t- yeah, technically like third year Draco. No, second year Draco. Well, yeah, but he's lived through second year, so he'd now be a third year. Oh, yeah. I guess. So it's third year Draco. Yeah. As soon as they bring that one back, Draco's better. Yeah. So the the reason that we ditch first year Draco in the second one is because the second 
musical is about time travel. Yeah. And that's the major plot contrivance. And re-watching it, I haven't watched these since I was at university, which is about four years ago now. Yeah. And I don't remember them straying from the time travel plot line for so long. I did wonder if they were just going to ditch it completely. And sure enough, after I brought it up to you, <laughs> they Lucius come back. comes back. Yeah. I do think it's very funny. And perhaps you can tell that J.K. Rowling has seen these. Yeah. That's what made me wonder if she'd seen them, is because Cursed Child deals a lot of the time travel type thing. Yeah. And, and how much of that is her looking, going, yeah, time travel's the way to go back to this world. I mean, she didn't write Cursed Child. She... She worked in collaboration. Yeah, but she worked in collaboration with Jack Thorne and John Tiffany. They. And she has got a writing credit for it. She has a rubber stamp credit for it. I'm willing to argue with you about this. I know you've seen it twice. Thrice. Okay, three times. And I know you really like it. However, she has publicly stated that she did not write it. Oh, I know she didn't write it. it. I know she didn't write it. But Therefore, I... it's fan fiction the same as this. And I don't care about it. <laughs> like... You know, until we get the film version we deserve of A Cursed Child. <laughs> <laughs> not going to see that. One of the things I do really like here is the exaggeration of character traits. Yeah. That it is really fun and it does become very good parody, you know, with Dumbledore and with Snape and with Harry being arrogant, Ron being kind of this never-ending stomach who just has to keep eating and eating and eating, Hermione being yeah. a swat, Cho Chan being the popular beautiful girl Cedric Diggory being as nice as anything yeah I love Cedric Diggory in this this is the like I exactly really, the version of him that I want I really like all these exaggerated character traits mm. I think they're really good and the meta I love meta humor full stop yeah. so for instance early on when like this is a port key and now what is foreshadowing <laughs> yeah. it is really fun mm -hmm. and it shows that they've you know a really good awareness of mm -hmm. structure yeah. Of how to pace your play. They, you know, like I say, there are times where you need to rein it in. Yeah. But there are also times where they show they get it mm -hmm. and it's really good. Yeah. Some of my favourite jokes from the first one are references to the fact that they are doing a musical. Yeah. So they'll say, I was oh, I was just backstage. Haggard. Yeah. Or, or Draco comes on going, I was backstage harmonising, but the time I wanted to come on, you finished. Maybe yeah. for a reprise or something. Mm -hmm. Which is really good. I, You know, you've also got some really good references to the wider world of Harry Potter, for instance, they're the constant of Snape trying to kill Dumbledore. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, the ticking sandwich. Yeah, the bomb sandwich. Is fantastic. Mm -hmm. You've got a reference to Winky the house elf. Yep. <laughs> Literally just a reference. The ugliest girl in school. <laughs> There's small, or Moaning Myrtle, even Moaning Myrtle is annoyed by you. Yeah. There's small references that make it really fun that if you're a fan of Harry Potter, you hear that yeah and you laugh one of my favorite lines is um the ghostbusters are breathing down nearly headless nicks nearly headless neck yeah which is hilarious i loved having jared leto's take on the joker show up what voldemort is Vold that what you thought he looked like voldemort looks very obviously that this came first mm -hmm. he i looked at that i thought that's very jared leto's joker makeup wise yeah, yeah. I, Voldemort was brilliant. Yeah. And his take with Quirrell is mm -hmm. brilliant. I love the way they stage, you know, him being on the back of his head. Yeah. They're and trying I, to go to sleep. Brilliant. <laughs> I really like. So the first one, I would say, is part Philosopher's Stone, part Goblet of Fire. Yeah. With part a bit of. Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Like those, those are where the source material comes from. 
And then Dumbledore dying. So yeah, and a little bit of half blood, half blood prince. Yeah. The f- Harry Potter sequel is Prison of Azkaban mm-hmm. with Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. And I like the way they've deviated with like the sorcerer like... and, and blended them and had fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really creative to take parts from each one in a way that does seem to fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did finally answer the age-old question of how Quill slept for that whole year mm-hmm. because he must have had Voldemort's head speaking to him. Yeah. I can't breathe. I'm stuck in this pillow. Mm-hmm. Like he must have either Quill sleeping face down because yeah. you know Voldemort's the dominant one. Well, I just love that. It's not something you would think about generally. Is like he did spend the whole year with Voldemort on the back of his head. Did they talk to each other? What would they have talked about? Yeah. And the fact that over the course of the musical they become so codependent, and then his Voldemort's betrayal of Quirrell and their subsequent like heartbreak. Oh, it's my fair lady. It's because, amazing. And the reference she's all that, which is brilliant. Yeah. But it is. And I, I wrote down Voldemort's grown accustomed to Quirrell's tune that he whistles night and noon. His smiles, his frowns, his ups, his downs are second nature to him now, like breathing out and breathing in. Terrible. But it is. That's a good reference, though. It is. And you've got Bellatrix comes back and says, we're going to get rid of him, and goes to harm Quill, and Voldemort can't. He's so used to hear him say good morning every day. His joys, his woes, his highs, his lows oh. are second nature for him now. Awful. You really liked My Fair Lady. I did though. like My Fair Lady. But and... it is. It's a really nice dynamic that, whereas they started off, you can tell that. Voldemort would have hated every second of this, and you you establish this kind of odd couple. Mm-hmm. He grows to really miss him, and the fact that at the end he shows up and even a bit of Bellatrix, where he yeah. just longs to be that head again, it's really nice. When he shows up at the end as Voldemort the White, yes, and kind of apologizes and says that he'll never leave him again. Yeah, it's really yeah, nice. That's cute. One song that you had, I think, my favorite reaction to was Ginny's song. Yes, I did like the I, I so love Ginny song. Harry writes a song for Cho. For Cho Chang. And, and it may not work for you, Ginny, because I don't really know how your name's going to fit. Yeah, except the, the rhyme at the end of every sentence rhymes with Ginny. Yeah. And and he stops halfway through and it just doesn't work. Just no, I doesn't can't sing it. Right. And I did feel bad for Ginny because she's clearly in love with him and Harry's too blinded to see that. Yes. That, but that song is so funny. And then he sings it to Cho Chang and puts her name in instead. Yeah. And it doesn't work at all. It, yeah. And you've got some really nice moments with these characters where you've got, for instance, each character saying what they do with the invisibility cloak. Yeah. It's I love so, that Harry joins in with that. Like, you own one. It's so funny. And I like the elements of the Triwizard Tournament here with the dragon. I, I really... Mm-hmm. I'm not fighting a goat. I don't know what I do. That's not moral. Yeah. I don't I know just if I can said, do that morally. I didn't know if it was going to be dragons at that point. I just turned to say, are they fighting T-Rex? Because mm-hmm. dragon doesn't want to be fed. It wants to hunt. Yes. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I reckon I could take Mushu and win. <laughs> do, do you? Do you think you could? Mushu? Yeah. I don't think I would want to. I don't think I could do that morally. Okay. So here's my question. You've obviously got famous dragons and the Hungarian Horntail. Yeah, it's Puff the Magic Dragon, Figment the Imaginary Dragon, and the Reluctant Dragon. Yes. Now, I thought of maybe some other dragons, Mm -hmm. and I wondered how you'd fare. What would be your strategy for fighting one of these dragons? So we have Dragonite from Pokemon. Wouldn't even tackle it. Okay. Because Pokemon have, like, powers. uh, Viserion from Game of Thrones. I would make it love me. 
Smaug from The Hobbit. I would not deal with that. Or I'd offer him something. He likes gifts, right? You'd trade him something. And Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. I don't like Toothless, so I'm not oh. first. I so don't like his films. So which of those do you reckon you'd take? If you, if so Harry tries to bargain with Draco to get... Who, which one did Draco have? Draco had uh, the Reluctant Dragon. So Harry's trying to bargain with Draco for the Reluctant Dragon. Now, you're Harry, you've got your Hungarian Horntail, and the other champions have Viserion, Dragonite, Smaug, and Toothless. Who do you try and bargain with to try and get? Uh, Smaug. And you bargain by trying to offer something. I'd talk to him, yeah. I just hoped that I'd be able to have, like, an ice team of Pokemon, that I would have a Lapras, that I'd have my Alolan well, Sandshrew. In the theory that you're running with, if Dragonite exists in this world, then the other Pokemon do too. Exactly. So you could potentially summon one. Yeah, I would Accio a Pokeball with a Glaceon. Accio Glaceon Pokeball and, yeah. and fight. That would be my strategy. I really like that Harry sings it to sleep and we get our first wrestling match on this podcast. Oh, yeah. As Harry then pins <laughs> one, two, the Hungarian Hauntel for the one, dragon. two, three. Which is a really brilliant moment. The way it's just so calm with the song and he just drops out one, two, three. Yeah. I beat the dragon. I really liked that moment. And we do get my favourite ship of all the Harry Potters. Which is Draco and Hermione. Draco and Hermione. Mm-hmm. So, so Granger cute. Danger. Granger Danger's great. Such a good song. I really like seeing how in love, even leading up to that, Draco is. And with... he's kidding himself, yeah. And then how that's followed up with the second one where Draco shows up. I did it because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. I have no ulterior motive. <laughs> Arm around Hermione. And I think that's really nice. That yeah. continuity is really good. It's better continuity than what we got with Love Never Dies and The Phantom of the Opera. This is true. I do like some of his... Some of the running jokes about him fancying Hermione and not realising yeah. when they're talking about the ugliest girl in school yeah. and you have Winky put forwards as one of them and he says, Hermione Granger is obviously the ugliest girl in school. If I was going to rate her from one to ten, with one being the ugliest and ten being pretty, be I'd give her an eight, maybe a 9.5, but not higher than a 9.8. Because everyone's got to strive for perfection except me, I'm a ten. Yeah. And it's just hilarious, because even Crab and Goyle are just stood there like, okay, <laughs> sure. I really liked Goyle. Mm. Goyle so, was such a, not an f- important character, but... He's a phenomenal performer. Yeah, it just was so much fun. He did so much with so little, and it was mm. one of the characters that stuck with me most. He's in, like, almost every one of their shows. Yeah. And he's fantastic. The actress that played Goyle, her name is Julia Albane. She went into the show the day it started. Oh, really? Yeah, for the first performance, because the person that was playing Crab dropped out. Jeez. Couldn't find out why there wasn't anything about it that I could see. But, so she literally just, they removed all of Crab's lines, and she just played any extra character that that actor would have been playing. I did wonder why. So that's why why Crab doesn't say anything. I was going to say, I did wonder why there wasn't as much Crab, but Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. We get the ball. Which is really fun. Ooh. And the porky, it's a porky, it's a porky, it's a porky. Yeah. And porky, Harry porky, just porky. shouts at <laughs> he shouts at Cedric, You're this spare guy, you're such a spare. Kill the spare. <laughs> Words that will haunt him. Yes. I love that though. That's really funny. The Imperio dancing was fantastic. Oh yeah, to dance again is a great song. Yes, and then 
That's the um, act, end of Act One. It is. And the way you had like Voldemort, Imperio dancing mm -hmm. Harry was, was really fun. Yeah. And, and I, I think Darren Criss does a good job with dancing and making it look like he doesn't Yeah, want he to. looks really pained. It's, it's great. And we then have all the bickering with his Death Eaters and mm -hmm. Harry gets away. Mm -hmm. Punch ball! Yeah. Yeah, we go to Act Two. Do you know what the first song of Act Two is? I can't remember. It's Pig Farts. It's when Voldemort says to Draco, what what business do you have on Mars? And he sings, pig farts, pig farts, here I come. That's the first song in the second act. And it's kind of, yeah, it's not a big song, is it? No, but it's just really funny. And Draco makes an unbreakable vow. vow. Yes. In and the best way possible. Yeah, so once... Voldemort's Dumbledore dead by the end of the next day. Draco wants a rocket ship. To take him to Mars. Yeah. So pig farts and then as they're about to pull their hands apart he says and you have to be my slave for one day starting now and everything seems to break down there yes snape starts laughing yeah voldemort looks shocked so from what i could find lauren lopez who plays draco malfoy had made that joke in rehearsals and the actor that plays voldemort who is joe walker had thought it was really funny but they decided they weren't going to put it in and then for the night that they filmed it she did it again so when he says that's happened to me twice now it's because she's done it twice it's good. not yeah it's it is really funny there's a throwaway reference to spider-man 3 and i start <laughs> yeah. to worry that is this more universal proof that i'm the only person who likes spider-man 3 i would not know i do not think i've seen it all the way through I do like Spider-Man 3. It's a mess, but I enjoy it. So there's a really nice moment where Voldemort breaks into the Ministry for Magic and he kills Fudge. Kills Fudge. He still doesn't believe it. <laughs> I still don't believe it's you. But then they do a song missing you. Yes. And as they cut back to Voldemort, Fudge is still dead in the background. He's been dead for this whole song. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant. You then have a really nice bit where they're trying to think about where this final Horcrux is and Hermione <laughs> goes in this, this rant about it. It might be in the, the countryside and Harry just goes, Italian says that's dumb. Yeah, it might be in the countryside and we have to trek for months and months and camp and it will be very gruelling and hard. Well, the medallion says that's dumb, so it's in Hogwarts. And I started taking notes because I was just enjoying watching it yeah. more than anything else. I took a few notes leading up to the end. That kiss is so gross. Oh, Ron and Hermione, where they're just like kind of licking each other's faces. Yeah, that's really gross. Yeah. That's really, really grim. They're supposed to be 12-year-olds. I know. I know they are. But it's it's still really gross. And there's a bit where Cho, is, in the second one, is talking about the feel her up in Valentine's Ball. Yeah. And like she's got a reputation to uphold. And I'm just thinking, she's 11. No, Cho's a year older than them. They they reference that in the first oh, one. Do they? She's already been there for a year, so she is a year Fair, older than fine, that. Fine, that's fine. So she's oh, it's just because like when you've got all the other stuff with Lupin and covering the ears, Cho covers her ears, so I assume she was part of the first year. No, I really like all the jokes in Dumbledore's office relating to Zephron. Zephron. <laughs> And a national treasure, obviously. Obviously. And then as soon as they're hunting for the Horcrux in there, I just wrote down, what time is it? Horcrux time. Yeah. I love, One of my favourite jokes in this whole show is when Dumbledore is talking to the Golden Trio and they're, they're saying, how will we know where the Horcruxes are? 
and Harry says, I have to do this on my own. And he says, no, what would Zephron say at a time like this? We're all in this together. And it's so funny because I'm here for the High School Musical references. But it is really nice to show this meaner Dumbledore because I think especially since like the books have come Dumbledore. out. Yeah, everyone's kind of got an opinion on Dumbledore. That this is the only version of Dumbledore that I like. I think everyone has this opinion that Dumbledore exploited Harry. He did. Yeah. And he references it in Death the Not Hallows. exploited. He groomed him. Like, yes. that is what happens. No, and I agree. And he references it in Death the Hallows himself. And he says, I should have told you more. Mm-hmm. I saw you as oh a weapon. <laughs> the way that they do that in this is, al- uh, is just amazing. It is funny. And then when he sees Rumble Roar and he's like, do you want to tell me you're not dead? He's like, no, where would the fuck would that be? Yeah. So in the, obviously Harry has to die to save everybody else. And when Voldemort kills him, he Harry sees Dumbledore. And Dumbledore says, I'm going to tell you all of the things you should have known all those years ago. Which I guess when he was a baby, I suppose. Yeah, he's is like, what 12, he's 12 years ago. Yeah. And he says, basically... Uh, you're a Horcrux, and the only way to kill Voldemort is to kill you. There. Oh, and I knew the whole time. <laughs> and that's and, it. That's all he had to say. And it's one of those ones that it's a lot of fun, because a lot of people have grown to resent Dumbledore, I think, a little more. Whereas mm. Dumbledore used to be a beacon of safety, he's become quite resented. I yeah. remember saying after Half-Blood Prince that the only way to raise the stakes so that Deathly Hallows seemed scary... Mm. you had to get rid of the one person who made that world safe. I don't think it's... So I I never trusted Dumbledore in the books, even, because I was a lot younger than you when I was reading yeah. them. I just found something about this concept of an all-knowing character who wasn't giving away all of the information to our protagonist very uncomfortable, especially because I was very young and I didn't like the idea of like grown-ups lying to me because I was still at that age where everything seems either it's fair or unfair and there's no in-between. Yeah. And everything's very black and white. So the idea that Dumbledore knew what was going to happen and wasn't telling Harry really upset me. And I've just not I just couldn't trust him. So them killing him to me was them killing somebody who knew what was going to happen. And could stop it or change it if he needed to not so much that he made it safe for me it was always you felt safe when Dumbledore was around he was the only wizard that Voldemort was ever scared of Mm. and the only way to raise the stakes was to kill him was to kill him yeah and as soon as that happened at the end of Half-Blood Prince waiting for Deathly Hallows you now know you live in a wizarding world that Mm. all bets are off and anything can happen one of my favourite things about A Very Potter Musical is that when Voldemort kills Dumbledore and then subsequently kills Harry, we get his reactions to it, which are, oh, Dumbledore's dead, and that's just kind of it. And then he kills Harry and he says, I just thought it would have made me feel less empty inside. And it doesn't. And it hasn't brought him what he wants. He's still the leader of the wizarding world, but he's not happy. I love it. <laughs> I think in the first one, it's very thrown together in terms of costume set design. They're just trying to find anything. His costume, though, is great. Voldemort's costume because and makeup is... design is is just amazing. Yeah, Voldemort's costume 
when he is Voldemort on his own and not with Quirrell, is the robe that they were both wearing. Yes. But when you roll it over at the back, it tucks in and it becomes this big sort of shawl cape thing. Yeah. And then he's got jazz pants and he's got, yeah, and his tattoos. <laughs> and his like cheese grater abs. Yeah. Is my favourite costume. Yeah. Just because the makeup looked phenomenal mm-hmm. and the presence in that costume worked. Yeah. Less is more. Yeah. And it really, really helped. It was good. Him stand out as well. Mm-hmm. I really liked how it all came together at the end. Voldemort is going down. Yeah, there's some yeah. lovely choreography there. And then we get our final fight mm-hmm. and everything wraps up neatly. Yeah. My favourite song in that one was To Dance Again. I'm not surprised. That's also Jake's favourite song. Oh, really? My brother. He loves that song. It's really fun, especially the way it kind of starts with him jumping out of the cauldron yeah. and tapping forward, moving forward. Like mm-hmm. The performance of that song is great. Yeah, I like the uh, Ginny song. That one's funny. I like Missing You. I think the songs in the first one are more memorable. Mm-hmm. I think the songs in the second one are better musically. Yeah. And I think Darren Chris is more seasoned. Yeah. But I do think the songs, I can remember more of them from the first one. What's your, so your favourite song is To Dance Again. Yes. What's your least favourite song from the first one? My least favourite song from the first one is probably Harry. I was really hoping you weren't going to say that. I love that song. I don't remember it as well. It's the it's only really one short. I don't really remember. Yeah. Granger Danger was good. <laughs> I love that song. Missing You was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other songs I'm missing out on. Not Alone? Don't remember that one. Baby, you're not alone. Okay, so I'll say then that's my least favourite. Because you couldn't remember I couldn't it at remember all. Remember all right, fair enough. I. What about the second one? Well... Favourite song from the second one? Favourite song from the second one I put as Harry Freaking Potter. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one. And I also liked Guys Like Potter. Yeah. But I think the reason I like Guys Like Potter was more the set piece of what was going on, like the transition into Young Snape's Snake, past yeah. was good. What is your favourite song in the first one? In the first one, my favourite song is either... Different as can be, which is the Voldemort and Quirrell song. Yeah, I like that. Any time they were on stage together, I was <laughs> having so fun. great. Yeah. yeah, every single time they were on stage, the songs were the best. Mm-hmm. Their moments were the best. There, dare I say, they had more chemistry than the Golden Trio. Yeah, well, it's either that or Granger Danger. I think it was a real shame that Quirrell was kind of omitted for a lot of the second half. Yeah, because he's an Azkaban. And I think it's a real shame there wasn't more between him and Voldemort. Because mm-hmm. there, there, there was so much fun in the first half that I think the second half was lacking in that sense. Yeah, because he sort of just shows up for the prologue and yes. missing you. Yeah. My favourite character, my MVP for the first one mm-hmm. is Voldemort. Yeah. Just because that actor was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I gave it three stars. The first one? The first one. All right, okay. I like it. It's fun. I don't think I would watch it again, okay. to be completely honest with you. That's fair. I think there's moments where it goes on too long, mm-hmm. but at its core, it is a fun show that is good for Potter fans. Fair. In the first one, who would you want to play? 
I don't want to always say that I play my MVP because I don't want it to be that that's like a trend. Last week, my MVP was Lionel. Lionel, and I said I want to play Lionel. I would want to be, to be completely honest, Voldemort. Would you? Because I think he's so much fun. Yeah, you can really ham it up with that one. Exactly. How about you? Who would you want to be? Ginny. Ginny. Yeah, course. Ginny or Draco, but I'm probably too tall to play Draco. Draco's good. Draco's Draco great. Draco is a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think I would play it a little less OTT. Mm. I would still have the rolly bits, but yeah. not as many. In the first one, one of the things I said I liked was the character traits being kind of amplified and over the top. Yeah. I'll tell you what I hated. In the second one? Absolutely hated in the second one. And I'm so glad it was literally the opening or at the end. Because if it happened throughout, I would have turned it off. Which was? Arthur Weasley. Oh, my God. Yeah. I Nick... absolutely despised the Mad Hatter lisp and characterisation of Arthur Weasley. So the guy that plays Arthur Weasley is also one of the writers yeah and he plays scarfy the sorting hat mm-hmm. and umbridge's mum he's arthur sorty scarfy peter pettigrew and big mama umbridge yeah and it's nick lang he wrote the book he's the one that came up with the idea for the first one and his voice is just kind of like that not as much obviously he's putting it on a bit but his his other characters weren't bad i hate big mama umbridge it's a small throwaway bit. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If Arthur Weasley was in that show more, I would have stopped watching. Do you not like the Mad Hatter's voice? No. Okay. I don't mind it on the Mad Hatter. Yeah. I did not like it on But Arthur it's also Weasley. the bad guy from Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. King Candy. Yeah. But I don't mind that. But here it just really grates on me. Yeah, it's irritating. And That's fair. I really didn't like that. And I'm very glad he was not as big a character. <laughs> There are some really good lines in the second one. Mm-hmm. And I did really just sit down and watch it and enjoy it more than anything else. You've got, why did you kill the candy lady? <laughs> yeah. It's a great line. The bit where Draco comes and goes, I am a racist. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Do you want to be my friend? Yeah. That was a nice moment. There are loads of good werewolf jokes. Mm-hmm. Draco, love, but... Nobody, anybody that sees the werewolf won't call it that. So the first time they see it, they say it's a vampire. The yeah. second time they say it's a zombie. And the third time they robot. say it's a robot. It's great. It's so a really it lovely. That's another example of a lovely running gag. Yeah. Draco's drawings were brilliant, especially the bit so where he gives good. the picture to Harry. And I'm going to take your favourite drawing. Yeah. There's, and then it gets ripped. Yeah, it gets ripped. I, I love the when he shows the drawing that he's done to the Death Eaters. Yeah. And even though it's part of your least favourite joke which is about the potty. Yeah, but um, I like the way that, oh, the shading's better. They like, react to it. Yeah. He says, is that cross-hatching I detect? I you, love that. You've got a really good comparison at the end of the sequel with Hermione and Umbridge to Spider-Man and Venom, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. And then right I knew you would enjoy the redhead who's in love. That's a nice moment, and it was funny. Did I you... love the puppets as well. Oh, they're so one. good, aren't they? Crookshanks was great. Scabbers being on Ron the entire time was great. Yes. Yeah. Stop him! Yeah, there was some lovely bit where they kicked this fake rat. Like, yeah. he's dead now, haha. I... <laughs> he's been dead for years. Now, Umbridge. Right, uh, so I wanted to bring this up as its own thing. The plot centered around Umbridge is that she is brought to the school when she used to be a warden at Azkaban. 
She's brought there to be the security officer for this year because Sirius Black is on the loose and Dumbledore immediately assumes that Umbridge is a man because she's played by Joe Walker, who was Voldemort in the yes. previous one. And the running joke is that Dumbledore is very flamboyantly gay and sort of... He's Dumbledore in this he's one. He's Dumbledore. And he takes an immediate fancy to Umbridge and pursues her thinking that she's a man. And, and she then, even goes along with it, hearing him say, Mr. Mr. Umbridge. Yeah, I think she just doesn't think anything of it. She's just kind of like, oh, okay. She's not used to being doted on. No, and she also really likes this guy. And well, she likes every as, guy that shows her any attention. Well, that's true. But as soon as Dumbledore finds out that she's a woman, he is immediately a bit freaked out and leaves. Disapparates. Yeah, because he's gay. It's a weird plotline, but I guess it's fine. I've got no issue with that. Yeah, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. I don't think it's... I mean, obviously, I if, they were saying, if they were saying Umbridge looks like a man and had a female performer, maybe that would be worse. I yeah. Think, because it's clearly... Because it's Joe Walker, yeah. It's clearly Voldemort. Mm. Her voice annoys me. She's Only when she's singing. She's basically Eric Cartman throughout... This is a... South Park, Park reference. Throughout the voice is Eric Cartman. Yeah, I've never seen that. Too. There's a very famous quote from Eric Cartman where he's, respect my daughter. Yeah. And she said the same, and I was like, that's it. Mm-hmm. They've taken Shut Up Meg from Family Guy and yeah. made it the joke for this one, and they've also taken the Eric Cartman South Park jokes and made it this one. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it annoys me a little bit more that it didn't seem as original. Mm. I had no issue with Umbridge. I think it was really nice to bring her character in. Yeah, I think they had to. They had to, because they didn't have another big bad. No. And he did a great job at it, again, mm-hmm. you know, being this big oh, he's, bad. Oh, he's fantastic. And I liked Umbridge. I liked her final fight with Ferenz. Yep. I said to you, Ferenz has solved the problem of the centaurs being unable to Make procreate yeah. because she's they now found someone who's strong enough to bear centaur children mm-hmm. and then he comes back and has all these texts and again it's another joke where she now fancies him yeah because yeah. it was the same with lucius mm-hmm. and it's a running theme that anyone who gives her attention mm-hmm. the you... slow motion quidditch was great as well i just i know you're not a quidditch i fan, don't care about quidditch but i think the staging of it was really fun there were some really lovely Moments where this is staged, the mirror of Erised. That's really cool. Yeah, brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Snape's flashback was staged brilliantly. The staging as a whole and the production values of this one were so much better than the first one. Yeah, and I think it was really nice that you know there's a lot that I think happens here that I think has potentially influenced Cursed Child in their staging of things. Yeah, because there's creative solutions to working with the magic mm-hmm. there's some tongue-in-cheek one for instance the patronus <laughs> having you know the cardboard cutouts of different characters is great yeah but then there's some other ones which are really really smooth and lovely to look at mm-hmm. miraveris being my favorite yeah definitely so what you said your favorite song from this one harry freaking potter was harry freaking potter for any particular reason or it felt the most musical okay it felt the most Broadway opening number, mm-hmm. and it was I a like, lot of fun. So it's interesting that you say that, because it's not the opening number. 
But no, I know it wasn't the opening number. It felt like the opening number to this world. Yeah, I really like Not Over Yet, which is Lucy Smalfoy and the Death Eaters as a prologue song, I yes. think. Setting up what the like big bad of this one is. Yeah, and I be. like that. I think that was a really nice opening. That was a really nice opening number, but it felt maybe out of place. Maybe that should have come a little bit later. But obviously we have to establish what's happening in year three to be able to go back to year one first. Mm-hmm. I did give an honourable mention, like I say, to guys like Potter, because I think the staging of that was better than anything else. Yeah. My least favourite song is Hermione Can't Draw. Yes, and so that, on the official soundtrack, which is the the released soundtrack, Yeah. so on Spotify and on yeah. their Bandcamp music site, Hermione Can't Draw isn't on that, because it's considered, like, embedded in yeah. what they're doing because it's kids singing as a part of the narrative rather than like musical number so it's not on there if that wasn't your least favorite what would you say it's difficult because i don't remember more of the second songs i think stutter doesn't really it's really umbridge's song it. from the second act where she's singing about how dumbledore cheated on her yeah i don't really remember that one as well mm. so i would say that one yeah those voices was nice. That, yeah, that's really beautiful. It is. It's again. It's it's a really nice it, use of the mirror one. Yeah. yeah. What's your least favorite song in this one then? Let the games begin. The Quidditch, the Quidditch song. song. I don't care about that. But I I really like Days of Summer, which is the last song. Yeah. And I really like the coolest girl, which is Hermione's song. Yeah. After they've all been bullying her for her to sing about how they just actually don't know how cool she is yet. Yeah, and I like that because it mm. gives her character a little bit more to work with. She's not just a caricature of a swat. She yeah. has more to her. But my number one favourite song from the second one is Getting Along, which is the Dumbledore Umbridge song. That about was how nice they fancy song. Yeah, that was a really nice song. And the dance and the choreography for that was really good. Yeah. My brother made me learn the Dumbledore part to that song so that he could sing the (laughs) Umbridge part. So I'd assume that if we were talking to him, he would want to have been Voldemort. He'd be Voldemort and Umbridge, yeah. Who do you want to be in this one? In this one? Yeah. There's no one I consistently like. Right. Is the problem. Not even Dumbledore? No. Okay. I... I like Lucius. Mm Mm-hmm. I like his weird dance thing. His weird dancing is she great. She choreographed an affair. <laughs> and I really like Lupin, but mm. I don't like Lupin throughout. Yeah, no, me either. The bits in his underwear, I think, are a little too much. Mm-hmm. But I really like when we meet him and, like, he's clearly drunk and he's, like... I on just train, was yeah. laughing so much at that take on him. And I love the constant repetition of my best friend, James. <laughs> and Hagrid? His, yeah, I love the repetition of that. I think Lupin was my favourite character in this one. Yeah. But I really didn't like all the the silly bits of Lupin, like where it was mm. in his underwear. and. I enjoy the running joke with him of every time he swears, all the kids cover yeah, their Yeah, that's one of my favourite bits. I think there's a lot of really good stuff with him. He's my MVP, followed by Lucius. Yeah. I don't think Lucius has enough, which is a shame. I feel like they completely forgot about that plot line Yeah. in order to advance all the Umbridge stuff. I think Joe Walker is giving it 110%. Oh, he's phenomenal as Umbridge. Absolutely phenomenal. And in his very brief moment as 
Horcrux, Horcrux Zephron yeah. is great. That is really funny. Especially because he's had to take his lipstick off for that. And, and then, then he has back, to reapply yeah, it. Back on. Yeah. But I just think there are some moments where Umbridge went on too long. Mm. For instance, her opening bit to the girls was just... Yeah, that goes on for way too long. A little too long. Yeah. But Umbridge was a lot of fun. I, I would like to play, if I could, Lupin. But I'd always want to be Lupin anyway. Yeah. I think Umbridge in that in this version would be a fun challenge and one I'd like to play. Cool. How many stars did you give this one? I gave this one three stars as well. Okay. Fair enough. Again, I liked it, but there were moments where it frustrated me. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the diaper jokes, the bullying of Hermione jokes, and Arthur Weasley's representation. Okay. If, like I say, I would have said, Drew, I can't watch this. And I would have come on here and said, we stopped watching because I couldn't put up with Arthur Weasley. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I did like it though. Good. That's what I like to hear. So, we're going to watch a Harry Potter senior year now. The difference with this one is it was a leaky con performance. Yes. Which you already know. Yes. When they decided they were going to do this, they didn't know if they would be able to get everybody back. And they knew for certain they wouldn't be able to get everyone back for rehearsals. So what they did is they got everyone to learn the songs. Yeah. And they gave everybody a script. So it is officially a read-through. Okay. However, it has a full set and costume. M most of the actors know all of their lines, but there are a few who carry their books the entire time. Okay. Notably Darren Criss, because he's off filming other things. Which is understandable. He is far too busy. Yes. However, he came back. He's the main character. Yeah. And... Him carrying the book doesn't affect it that much, I don't think. That's fine. It's. I'm glad you told me that because I would have been quite frustrated yeah. to kind of see this wasn't a full-fledged mm -hmm. final product. The other thing with this one is it has a much larger cast. Yeah. Because they were bringing in everybody and people who had worked on other shows that they'd done in between these. They're giving the... them their moments because they're the ones who are making Star Kid continue. Yeah. Most... Darren Chris is kind of off doing glee. The other thing that they did is they have a special guest actor from the movies. Okay. It's not um, Daniel Radcliffe, is it? No. Can you imagine? How good would that be? No. I'm not going to tell you who it is and we're just going to watch it. But they are in the whole show. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And it's great. Oh, I'm really intrigued. Are they... Oh, I really want to know who it is now. I don't want to wait and see it. I'm, I'm really... Do you want to? I can tell you who it is now. Yeah, go for it. Tell me who it is. It's Ivana Lynch. Oh, that's so cool. As Luna. You've got, so they've got her as Luna now. Yeah, she's playing Luna. Oh, that is brilliant. I like Ivana Lynch. And you don't see her doing as much as maybe she could do. Yeah. Because I think she's very much that one character. Hmm. But I'm going to be really glad to see that. Yeah. The other thing about this one, obviously I've just said Darren Chris wasn't around for rehearsals. He's doing his best because he's been off filming other things. Yeah. He didn't write the music for this one. Okay. The music for this was done by AJ Holmes, who wrote the, wrote the, the music, music for the anyway. other ones with Darren Chris. And this time it's Clark's, Clark Backtresser and Pierce Cybers. So they are writing. So it's a different creative team. Yeah. Okay. So it'd be interesting to see whether you think it's... How it compares musically. Yeah. Well, 
In the meantime, it's back to wizards and witches and magical beasts, to goblins and ghosts and to magical feasts, to all that I love and all that I need at Hogwarts. Hogwarts. It's time we get back. <clears throat> if I could do anything, I think I would shrink myself to the size of a mouse and leave the world of men behind me forever and live amongst the mice. And I would bring technology in and art to those uncultured swine. And I would build tiny tools for their tiny mouse hands made from toothpicks and marshmallows. And I would be their king, nay, their prince, Gilderoy the Mouse Prince, ruling from my grand castle, inches high carved from the finest cheeses. And there I would dwell with my three mouse wives and my twelve mouse concubines. Oh, 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 oh. But the wars we'd have with the frogs, terrible, just terrible, those meadow mice warriors, the atrocities they've seen. Yes, that is my dream. And with that, we are back. We sure are. We've made it through the witches and wizards and magical beasts and live to tell the tale yeah so how a very part of senior year did you like it as much as i think you liked I it i really enjoyed it good i was a little skeptical when you told me about the cast record uh, the cast read through mm -hmm. and having scripts but i think it made it more fun to watch i felt more like it was part of the experience yeah and that they had catered for it for instance having the voiceover saying scene two and mm -hmm. describing what happens it felt cheesier and it felt more fun yeah i think if they hadn't had the narrator um it would have been very different the fact that you hear the all of that stuff with them saying oh especially with the car the flying car where they're like the car crashes into the ground and they're all just sit there like, ah! Exactly, it made it more fun because even if it had the same production values or was done in the same way as musical or sequel, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite difficult to show that, whereas this made it funnier and it felt more like the parody nature of it. Yeah. So this was the Chamber of Secrets book. Yeah, but set in Harry's last year at Hogwarts. Set in Harry's last year at Hogwarts and... The way that they go Elements about... of Half-Blood Prince as well with Tom Riddle's origin stories. Oh yeah. The way that they go about explaining why all of the stories are in the wrong order is my favourite thing that oh, comes out. Oh yes. And I love that they address that and I think that's a really good little yeah. joke. So we get a, an excellent running joke because these, I guess, main... Not... Not the main antagonist, but a like sub antagonist of this one is Gilderoy Lockhart, who is absolutely fantastic. Yes, yeah, he's played by AJ Holmes, who has helped write the music for all three of these, and he's so great. I love the bits when 
Gilderoy Lockhart isn't a character, but you can just see him playing at the piano. Yeah, because he's they've got um, Clark Batstresser, who has written the lyrics for this one, playing the main piano, and then they have a second piano that AJ Holmes just goes and sits at when he's not on Which stage. Which is brilliant. But Gilderoy Lockhart throughout is fantastic. He's the catalyst for, I guess, Harry's departure. Yeah. And his interactions with Hermione are amazing. So in this one, instead of Gilderoy Lockhart stealing people's adventures in the wizarding world and passing them off as his own, he instead has been going to the muggle world, taking muggle books and bringing them to the wizarding world and just slapping his name on them. So Gilderoy Lockhart wrote Twilight and The Hunger Games and the Percy Jackson series. And I'm sure he probably also introduced things like Maze Runner and Divergent into yeah. this world. Which the, is he's brilliant. the like main author of YA in the wizarding world here. Which you did kind of mention might not work with Hermione because of her link to the muggle world. And yeah. she's the main consumer of this. But I think it's funnier that you know, Hermione being such a smart character wouldn't have picked up on that. Yeah. And I always really liked in the second book where Hermione is completely giddy over Gilderoy Lockhart. Yes. Which is, and all the girls are, and I just think that's really funny. Yeah, and it leads to some brilliant interaction. So he is mining her for Harry Potter essays mm-hmm. on each year because essentially his plan is... I am going to sell Harry Potter stories to the muggles. Yeah. I'm going to do what I've been doing in reverse. And he holds up a copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, written by J.K. Rowling. And he's like, this is the first one and it comes out soon. Yeah. And it's such a brilliant method. Oh, and he says Sorcerer's Stone so that it's clear that it's about wizards. And Ron says, oh, you mean the Philosopher's Stone? And he's like, yeah, but we've got to change the title so that the muggles will understand. Which is funny because obviously they're backing the British version, even though there's been a lot of American jokes. Yeah, and like the that. American version of Philosopher's Stone is the Sorcerer's Stone, which is... However, terrible. what I'm going to say about Gilderoy Lockhart... The Mouse King. The Mouse King <laughs> stuff is my absolute favorite. <laughs> I don't know where that joke came from. I don't I either, love but it. I think it was my favorite thing other than Quirrell and Voldemort in the entire trilogy. All hell Gilderoy. But it's the, the seriousness with which he says it. Oh, the mouse prince. I'm not the king, I'm the prince and I will sit on my cheddar throne. <laughs> and it was brilliant. I will bring them technology and blah blah blah. It was my favorite. Yeah. It was just the best part of this. One of my favourite things with him as well is that when the wizard cops show up at the end to arrest him, because they call Auras wizard cops, because that's what they are, when they show up at the end to arrest Gilderoy, he runs away and they sort of throw out a little... Well, he shouts Reducio. Presum- he shrinks himself. Yeah, yeah, he shrinks himself, so presumably he starts his plan. No, but Kingsley Shacklebolt says, oh... We've got to watch out for him. He has a secret time turner. So who knows what he'll do with those Harry Potter books? So it's supposed to mean, like, we've all read the Harry Potter books. It's Gilderoy Lockhart that's put them out. Oh, that's good. I missed that joke. Because he changes in the show. He takes all of Hermione's essays that she's been writing 
And he changes the order of things around? Yes, because he says it makes no sense whatsoever that the main villain, Voldemort, is, is destroyed in the second year. So yeah. I've moved that to the seventh year. Plus, you've got to write the dogs. Because dogs love this. Oh, yeah, you turn Sirius into a dog and McGonagall into a cat. Yeah. When that's not something that's in the shows. And it's really good. And I do like the side exchange with Hermione, who's obviously at her fan fiction best here. Absolutely. And we love it. It was absolutely hilarious. The Gilderoy Lockhart didn't even pick up on her own answers as well. No. That, I just that was great. He's more obsessed with being the mouse prince yeah. than anything else. Ron inadvertently cheats on Hermione in this one. Yeah, and we get 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one with Lavender Brown. And Hermione says she's going to revenge cheat or rebound cheat. I think is the advice that Cho Chang gives her. And she decides she wants to do that with Gilderoy Lockhart, who has absolutely no concept of the fact that she's even mildly fl- flirting. But I do think, other than Draco, because we get that brilliant bit of who does Ron hate most in the world? Draco. Yeah. And Hermione thinks, no, even I can't cross that line. Yeah, there's a, we're not going to go for that. So there's uh, Gilderoy Lockhart provides some of the best moments in this. Mm-hmm. I was really shocked at how long they went without Harry. I think you know, that too. has more to do with the fact that Darren Chris had the least to do with this show. Oh, and I agree. Like, it was a smart choice. Yeah. Not knowing how involved he would be was definitely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really nice decision to cut Harry out of so much of that too. Yeah. But it surprised me they took that decision. Mm-hmm. The opening is brilliant. Where we start in Order of the Phoenix, I guess. We open with a fan of Oh, she was a lot better singer than I realised. Mm-hmm. She was really good. And I love seeing her take a character that she has popularised yeah. and have fun with it. So the bits where she's smoking and yeah. she's a bad girl. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Is, is great. I love it when people return to roles that they've made famous and do it for parody and don't take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think she did a really good job of that. You know, considering she's not known for the singing, I think she does a good job. She does a better job than some of the original cast. And I think more importantly, whenever she's there, she's having fun with it. Oh yeah, you can tell she's having an absolute whale of She's fun. getting involved with the dancing yeah. and she's just enjoying herself. Mm-hmm. We get some little, little Mermaid references as well. I yeah, noticed a lot of Little Mermaid references. Yeah, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. You know, she refers to Neville as a guppy. Don't be such a guppy. Yeah. And I just loved it. Hermione says, what am I going to do with that girl? But in a Jamaican accent. Yes. The very the first one is very meta as well. You know, this is the end. Mm-hmm. That They're making it clear straight away this is going to be the last of the trilogy. In a yes. very good song that isn't about that this is the last one, but it is. Yeah, and a couple of the songs towards the end of Act 2 are very clearly sort of not related to the show at all and are about that everything has to end and we know you love a very Potter musical but this is it we're done yeah. now now one of the things that i thought was interesting mm. was that we had a brand new hermione yeah you hadn't told me that no but what i think is brilliant is so how they... they own up to it straight away they're not disguising it yeah it's very tongue-in-cheek 
Neville punches Hermione because she's dressed as a Death Eater for a disguise. It was the best kind of Hermione bullying we had throughout the trilogy. Yeah. It was simple enough that it is mistaken identity, mm-hmm. but I could believe that in my mind, in, in my mind Neville re- remembers the voice, but he's taking advantage of this moment where he could get away with it. Yeah. Either way, it was funny and it wasn't too much. Hmm. So we have uh, Meredith Stepien who steps in to be Hermione in this one. And... Her introduction, she gets punched in the face by Neville while wearing a Death Eater mask. And she says, oh my god, I think he broke my nose. Does it look bad? And she takes the mask off, and obviously it's not the original actress. And And Ron's just like, you've never been more beautiful. Yeah, you look really hot. Also funny. And she says, sort of directly to the audience, just treat me like the Hermione you've always known and loved. And, and that's it, we, no more is said of yeah, it, yeah, no, and it's it. perfect. We get Nick Fury Shacklebolt. Mm-hmm, and I love him. He was brilliant, the wizard cops. Yeah, he in the last one. He was. The wizard cops were great. It reminded yeah. me of the vegan police that's exactly from Scott Pilgrim. That's exactly it is, yeah. And that's always fun. It just felt like this whole opening exchange where you've got Mad-Eye Moody. That's not Mad-Eye Moody. That's Barney Crouch Jr., uh, was part Brooklyn Nine-Nine, part Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And it Very. was just hilarious to watch. Yeah. The sort of main plot of this, of the third one, is that Harry is realising that this is his last year at Hogwarts and he won't ever be doing this again, but also that he has defeated Voldemort and maybe the world doesn't really need him so much anymore. Yeah. Or at least the world he currently resides in, which is Hogwarts, and he needs to leave. And I think that's why it's so good to have Gilderoy Lockhart as the foe in this one because because yeah. he's exactly what Harry could end up being and he does plant seeds of doubt and you do see Harry's belief in himself mm-hmm. plummet which is very interesting for this take on Harry considering he's so arrogant yeah we do get a really good reprise of old songs. One of my least favourite songs returns, but in a really good way, where he does the Hermione can't draw. Remember that, guys? Remember that, guys? Hermione and can't Cho draw. Chang Hermione says, can't draw. That's not funny. That's just rude. Yes. And it's small moments like that that make it really fun. Yeah. Draco is a lot calmer in this one as well, which I really like. But well, I think, obviously, you haven't seen any of the other shows that Stark have done, but yes. Lauren Lopez comes a long way in her acting between the very first musical and here in the other shows. And it's a lot more fun. We still get some nice moments when Draco's trying to sit up on the candy ladies (laughs) trolley, which is just a brilliant joke. She's so little. But then there's other moments where Draco is silly without being too over the top. Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer is brilliant. Yes. We get some referrals to what's happened in previous years, you know, the year at Pigfarts, which was remarkably clean. Uh, nobody made any rude jokes and we were all really nice and nobody swore. <laughs> yes. And I think you can tell they're a lot more seasoned as performers here. Yeah. Which is, which makes it more fun to watch, I think. Hmm. They've reined in themselves. They've not gone to it too excessively one way or the other. Yeah. And... I do think this is the perfect ending and the best of the three. Yeah, I'll agree with that. So the other plotline that we get with this one is the Voldemort and Ginny 
Chamber of Secrets plotline. Which is really fun because we get Mad Eye Ginny. Yes, and Jamie Lynn Betty, who plays Ginny, can roll her eyes in opposite directions, which is terrifying. It is, but it works so well with this. And that blends the Chamber of Secrets with the Half-Blood Prince because we get Voldemort's origin as he tells Mm -hmm. Ginny. And there's some really lovely moments between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Yes, backstory Voldemort, where he's Tom Riddle. Where we get the Black Parade era Gerard Way Voldemort. Yeah, you you showed me a picture of that and that is what he looks like. It's so much fun to see teenage emo Voldemort who oh just God. wants to dance. They do a really good job with his hair in this one because in the first one, his Joe Walker's hair is just slicked back and they've sort of powdered it and painted it white. Yes. In this one, he's got a wig on, but it's the same white hair, but this time it's sort of half down in front of his face in a very sort of Justin Bieber-esque haircut because he's a teenager, and it just makes him look like sad emo Voldemort. It is, and it's lovely to see Always Dance. Yeah. That song was so much fun. It did make me wonder, there must be so much fan fiction shipping Dumblemort. Probably. Watching their... Their age difference is nearly 100 years. I know it is, but the way those characters played it was very interesting, bouncing off one another. Mm. And they had a lot of fun with it. He's like, I can dance! I'm really dancing, it's... I'm dancing, I'm gay, I'm yes, gay! Yes, <laughs> that's it. And Dumbledore just kind of looks at him like, mm, okay. And it was really interesting. Yeah. And the, um, instead of... Tom Riddle in the orphanage saying that he can make animals do what he wants or he can hurt people if he wants to. He's a special boy because he can make glitter shoot out of his hands when he's yes. excited. And then he comes to Hogwarts. Yep. And him and Lucius have a dance-off. Best character interaction ever. And Bellatrix falls in love with his moves. Yep. Which is great. Bellatrix is really fun. I love that they introduce themselves. So he, Lucius Malfoy introduces himself as Lucius, but you can call me Louie. Yeah. And then Bellatrix introduces herself as Trixie. And she says she's just here at Hogwarts to make friends and have fun. And I can imagine they must have been so innocent and pure. Yeah. And so would they have... No, they weren't at school. I was going to say, they wouldn't have actually been at school with him. It's something no. that he'd have corrupted them. Maybe if they were younger years and he was an old, you know, older year at the For... time. So we know in the books, Harry's parents are between 23 and 27 Yeah. when they have Harry. For Draco to be the same age as Harry, we kind of have to assume that Lucius and Narcissa are between 25 and 35-ish. Yeah. I'm basing that on like the sort of the ages that people have yeah. children from what I've seen as a teacher and how kids end up in the same year group. Yes. So they... Lucius definitely was not at school with Voldemort. No. He's not old enough. So he must have just been corrupted mm-hmm. by, oh, I believe in all this yeah, anti-muggle propaganda. The same with Snape, which is in the in the books, in the flashbacks, we see Snape and Lily talking about the Death Eaters and how they're sort of like a radical group. Yeah. But that they're not, it's not a school thing. It's an outside of school thing. It is, and it's something that Snape aspires to. Yeah. I... Do really like the way with the bigger cast they've had than previous years, previous mm. shows. I really like how they're able to introduce other characters that we've not seen yet. So we get obviously Gilderoy Lockhart, mm-hmm. we get McGonagall, we get Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. That costume being brilliant. I hated it. 
but yeah. Yeah, it's awful, but brilliantly done. And we get Hagrid at last. We yes. also get Colin. Colin Creevy, who's fantastic. Uh, we get nearly headless Nick. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice. It feels very final this time that they are able to introduce so many different characters and do them well. Yeah. The only thing I felt kind of was the most filler. So it was very long. And I think watching them all on one day. Yeah. Was it a lot? Yeah, it was a lot. And pinpoint just how long each one was. Trying to shoehorn so much of each plot in is sometimes detrimental. Yeah. Aragog was not necessary in this one. No, he He wasn't. However, the, the actor that plays Aragog, Jeff Blim. Yeah. He was in Holy Musical Batman. He's the main villain in that. He's also gone on since then to be one of their main actors in every show. He's really phenomenally talented. And I think... So, this isn't like an actual thing, but in my opinion, he's replaced Joe Walker. Because Joe Walker doesn't really do them anymore. Yeah. He's moved on to his own thing. But Jeff Blim has essentially replaced that character type. So they needed to find somewhere to put him. And he obviously wasn't in rehearsals enough for them to make him a main character. They also look very similar. And so yes. I think Aragog just kind of works for him. And he's good at the villain songs. Get In he My is. Mouth is a great song. I didn't really like it. I can picture it. By the obvious joke of Get In My Mouth. Yeah. I that I turned off for a lot. It was just filler. I was getting tired. I didn't really feel it was necessary. Okay. That was kind of the weakest bit for me was the Aragog section. I did like the moments where we saw Tom Riddle's Christmas and he went That went on for too long. It went on for too long. And it was one of the most crass jokes we had with Tom cleaning up after his grandparents. Yeah. I didn't need that. No, me either. And that section could also have been cut, but it was nice to see that moment where this version of Tom realises I'm going to be the bad guy. Yeah. Snickers. Yes. The Snickers joke was funny. The reaction to TMI over Elf Beans, right? What does that mean? What? Oh, yeah. The bit where... Jeez. No, explain what just happened. Okay, so I'm reading my notes and they don't make sense. Yeah. What have you actually written down? I wrote the reaction to TMR, arrow facing right, L dot V is great. And I'm thinking... Lord yeah. It's Tom Marvolo Riddle into Lord Voldemort. Oh. Well, when Hermione figures it out, or his transformation. His transformation. Where he rips his shirt the off. The transformation from... Riddle to Voldemort is just brilliant. The crowd love it. And this is another one where the crowd really make this show. Definitely. They're so engaged, so involved. They're having a great time. Mm -hmm. And it's infectious. Yeah. And that's to be said for all of them. I know you said to me previously that sometimes it's detrimental. I don't think it was. I, I meant more the audio in the first one. Which is fair, but it's still... I still liked hearing it. Yeah. It's one that I really enjoyed 
and that basilisk puppet was great. So oh, was yeah. No, that's awesome. I just love... I'm a snake. I'm a, I'm a snake. But this boy can hear me. I'm going to go back to the toilets. I'm a snake. That's great. I thought you meant... So there's a joke later on with Hermione where she looks at Tom Riddle's diary. She's reading Tom Marvolo Riddle and she figures out the anagram, except she reads it as, am I Lord Voldemort? Yes, that was also a really <laughs> funny moment. The songs in this one are really good. Yeah. And... I like the throwbacks. I really enjoy it when they do the throwbacks. Going back to Hogwarts, Harry freaking Potter, Days of Summer. Mm-hmm. They're really good. But I think overall... You asked me how I'd find the music because Darren Chris is not involved. Mm-hmm. I think the songs, I wouldn't say they're better than the they're first two, but produced. they feel, yeah, they, they they feel more Broadway. It feels like they're much more mature. Mm. Which is fair. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. I really liked the songs. Bar Get In My Mouth. I think the songs were fantastic in this one the one before he goes back to the riddles house when you have to go all the way home yeah where bellatrix is just going for it with her vocal exactly yeah they're having a great time and it is really fun to watch yeah sidekick is brilliant i I knew you liked that one you were having a really good time with that we've not had much where ron is a main character a main character it's man up from book of mormon basically yeah and it's a lovely moment Everything Ends mm-hmm. was... Really sad. Really sad. But that's one of the ones that I was saying, like, that's aimed at the audience, and it's not saying... It kind of ends up having nothing to do with the show. Well, it does, because it's them saying to Harry, embrace the fact that someday you won't be this famous character anymore. So I think... It's talking to him as well, that it moves Harry forwards on his journey in this one. Yeah, but I, th- I think also they're talking more to their audience... Yeah, oh, 100%. The whole idea that, you know, the Hunger Games and everything will be bigger <laughs> is, it's a true fact that, you know, Harry Potter will have its day and enjoy these days whilst they last. Yeah. That's not a bad thing that this hype will someday go down. Yeah, I suppose. But it was nice to see other characters come back. So Cedric comes back, he's now married to Lily Evans. Oh god, yeah, which in is heaven. Brilliant. And Snape is dead as well, which he survived a very Potter sequel, didn't he? Yeah. So when has he mysteriously died? Well he's also nearly head as Nick, isn't he? Possibly. I didn't I it wasn't John the actor. Yeah, he is. Joe Moses is nearly headless Nick and Snape. So he was nearly headless Nick more in this one than he was Snape. The Snape jokes in one and two wore thin sometimes. Yeah. Because I think the character is so over the top and silly. Mm-hmm. It becomes like Draco's rolling. They're playing this version of yeah. it and it's sometimes too much. Okay. And it's fun in smaller doses. But in the second one, I especially was getting more annoyed with the, the snake face and the snake noises. It was the perfect amount of snake in this one. Yeah, which was not much. Yes. We do get more Spider-Man jokes. Mm-hmm. Which he thoroughly enjoyed. I like throughout each one. You know, it's it's something we love in each musical here. Yeah. That they've got a joke and it continues each time. The Harry Potter monument gets destroyed for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. 
And Harry just goes, no, there's only one true Spider-Man, it's Tobey Maguire. Yeah. And I do agree, Tobey Maguire is a better Spider-Man than Andrew Garfield. Mm, yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> it was just a really fun show as a whole. Mm. And bar Darren Chris's mic, which can't be helped, and, yeah. you know, so um, happens. Unfortunately, in the recording of this, Darren Chris's microphone didn't record anything. So the audio is picked up from the stage mics, which is very, very different to how everybody else's audio sounds. Exactly. I can forgive that because this is a YouTube production. Yeah. It's amateur, but kind of professional at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't mind all that. And obviously the, the moments where they lose their lines or costumes come apart, they just have fun. And it's really nice to watch in something like this where the actors are enjoying being up there with each other and having fun and laughing at each other. Yeah. The ending is so well done when <laughs> Scarfy gives up his life. Yes. To save everyone. Mm-hmm. And we get a much better name for <laughs> Albus, Albus Potter. Albus Scarfy Potter. You are named after two of the bravest men I've ever known, Albus Scarfy Potter. I 100% it's... agree that that is a better name than Albus actually has. It's such a great little throwaway joke. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, and it's what they do best is minor jokes that those in the know appreciate. Yeah. And it doesn't take up too much plot action. It's just, it's said, and you have a good laugh. Mm-hmm. One of my other favourite jokes is Quirrell and Voldemort's child. Yes. At the end. So the, we end with the, the epilogue from the last book, and Harry's brought his son to the train to send him off to Hogwarts and this little girl runs across the stage and it's Lavender Brown again. Yes. She runs across the stage and she's like, come on, daddy, we're going to be late. And then Quirrell with Voldemort on the back of his head walks onto the stage and the entire audience is like screaming. Yes, because it is a, it's a really good visual and obviously one that they chose not to continue in the sequel, which is a good thing. I think Mm -hmm. that joke would have been too much in the sequel, but it must have been really nice at that time to, to see this yeah. ha- as your final visual. Is this joke that you love mm-hmm. and it's back. Yes. And I think the guy that plays Quirrell, uh, Brian Rosenthal, is one of my favourite actors in this. He's great at Seamus. <laughs> He's hilarious. The way Seamus gets petrified as well, Gary. That's a big snake. But look at the size of this snake. And then and he gets, he gets petrified yeah. in that way is hilarious and he's a really good performer. I love the joke that Ivana Lynch makes about the mandrakes where she says, oh no, it's going to take a whole year for the mandrakes to grow back again. But, you know, the people who are petrified, they can either be saved by mandrake potion or if we kill the the monster of Slytherin, that'd wake them up too because like... Exposition is brilliant. I really enjoyed this one. I think they've done a fantastic job. It's... Definitely them at their best with yeah. the Potter franchise. I say franchise, it's not like they have the rights to it, but it is... It's an excellent take on the it's an It is it is genius, yeah. and it's the culmination of, I guess, a journey for these guys. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed this one. Good. I would like... I'd like you to watch Holy Musical Batman, because I think you'd enjoy all the superhero jokes. Yeah. And at some point we are going to watch the guy who didn't like musicals because the difference between these first couple of shows that they've done and the guy who didn't like musicals, 
that show is professional levels. And I mean, it is, they, it's a real professional performance, but it, you, the difference is very obvious. Yeah. Just found out something interesting about AJ Holmes. What's that? That after Potter Musical and Potter Senior Year, mm-hmm. he went on in 2013-14 to play Elder Cunningham on the first national tour of Book of Mormon, and he stayed doing that role until 2018. Oh, cool. Which I think is very, very cool that this is something, you know, Starkid is very much that junior's troupe. Yeah. And I like that people have gone on to be bigger since then. Yeah. This is something that will really matter to a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. that's quite fun, actually. Nice. So how was this received? I guess critically is a weird way to say it. Uh, It was a phenomenon, is what it was. The first... One, when that came out, it was the most watched video on YouTube ever. Yes. At the time. Well, it would have been obviously. very early YouTube. Mm-hmm. And the second one was even bigger. And then by the time this one came out, the reason it's performed at LeakyCon is because of the fan outcry for yes. a third one. They Which were never going to awesome. do a third one. No, and I think they wouldn't have been able to do a third one necessarily anyway with their cast going off doing different things. Yeah. And the only reason this worked is because it was at a fan convention. Exactly. And it's the perfect way to say goodbye with these characters and end it is here as a gift. What did you give this one? I gave this one four stars. Okay, cool. This was my favourite. I do think they're very long. Mm. This averages out as three and a half stars then. I would say four stars averages out, even though I gave the other two three stars. Yeah. I think with the third one in mind mm-hmm. and seeing the way their jokes and the characters develop there's lovely continuity between them yeah which is silly to say like when you have other actors replaced but the continuity in them is great and it does make other things better you know like the draco being as infantile in a very potter sequel to where draco develops you get a sense these characters have aged yeah and in hindsight it makes them better Mm. I would say, because it really does feel like you've watched them develop. Yeah. What's your favourite song in a very Potter senior year? Either Wizard of the Year, which is the Gilderoy Lockhart song, yeah. or Always Dance. And what was your least favourite song? My least favourite song is probably Sidekick. Fair enough. Sorry. I know I... you really liked that one, but I, I... just... That's fine. I have two favourite songs. This is the end. Yeah. I love how silly it is. And it is a really good one to kind of get you rallied. Yes. And I also put Always Dance. Yeah. My least favourite song is Get In My Mouth. Mm -hmm. I just felt it was unnecessary. It was fat that could have been trimmed. My MVP for this one is actually Ivana Lynch. (laughs) Okay. Because she does so much yeah even though she's not integral she's just having fun and to see her up there taking the mickey out of herself is brilliant yeah but the role i would play because i can't be luna right i'd want to be gilderoy lockhart in this one best character he is brilliant and he doesn't need to do that much it's Mm -hmm. just so much fun he's very nearly my mvp in this one he's he's mine I just think it's because I did not know if Ivana Lynch could sing. And I'm not saying she's the best singer. Mm. 
but she definitely does better than Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Yes. And I just love her willingness to get involved with it. Yeah, it and is really, cool. really fun. So which character would you want to be? Ginny, again. Yeah. I love, like... Voldemort drone Ginny in this where she's just every time they find her at the scene of a like petrification yes they're like Ginny and she just goes ah and runs upstairs I will say this is the first one I watched where I thought I would like to play Draco mm. so that's also interesting but Gilderoy Lockhart is so much fun in this one yeah so I'm saying four stars for this one and four stars overall for the trilogy nice good Okay, so I have no idea about what you're going to tell me next. Okay. What are we going to be watching next week? So we did the modern Cinderella and a very pretty musical. So we're jumping back to the 1950s to look at Once Upon a Mattress. Okay, I have never heard of Once Upon a Mattress before. I only know of it because you have referenced it. Yeah. So... It is one of my favourite musicals. This will be an interesting episode, I'm sure. Yeah. It'll be good fun. It's a, it's a nice, fun one. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, good. So in the meantime, mm-hmm. you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at It's A Musical Pod. Or you can email us at It's A Musical Pod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about A Very Potter Trilogy were you a star kid growing up? Have you only just watched them for the first time, like me? Is it something that you watched when you were younger and you just never got the hype? I'd be very interested to know what your response is. Hmm. And until then, have a wonderful musical Monday.